As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And well, here we are, basking in the glory of yet another comprehensive, comfortable home victory at Old Trafford for those boys in red. Still feels a bit weird to say that really, doesn't it? We've got Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten with us to reflect on the victory over Bournemouth and also look ahead to Everton. There's a bit of transfer gossip in there as well. It's not gossip, it's actually well-resourced and researched information on Jack Butland and others, spoiler alert. But hello, Laurie. Um, you were at home, but um, you tweeted more about Manchester United last night than at any other point <laughs> in 2023, didn't you? Well, I just wanted to be part of the action. I wanted to feel connected. And also, if you're not at the game... Everyone wants a part of it at the moment. I know. Well, I saw you there, uh, sat just behind Eric Ten Hag, you know, giving some guidance, right, uh, as we stood there in the technical area, uh, suggesting some changes maybe, or... Um, giving encouragement from the sidelines. No, you were, of course, professional in your role as a, yep. a major broadcaster. Neutral. Neutral. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of you know, get, in, get in the mix on things. It was a good performance. The fact that United were able to win it 3-0 ultimately with a changed team, with a few injuries as well, bodes well for the for the future. And, and look at the points total, you know, um, nine points behind Arsenal. We're not getting carried away, but the next two games could be pivotal. Yeah, they look really big ones, those, don't they, in the Premier League against Manchester City and Arsenal. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, Andy Mitten, like I said, is also with us as well. Andy, it's nice of you to be back talking about Manchester United. I thought you just covered Liverpool these days, to be honest. (laughs) Given that the only Liverpool game I've covered this season, they got comprehensively well beaten. I did say to my uh, one of my editors yesterday, is there any chance I can cover Liverpool every week from now on? And then (laughs) maybe just shift over to Manchester City uh, and Arsenal at key moments in the season. Yeah, I, I was at Brentford. I watched them beat Liverpool. I was really surprised. Brilliant atmosphere in that Brentford stadium. I thought Liverpool would win because they've been getting some stuffy wins. And Brentford won. And obviously, I was there as an objective journalist. Uh, I didn't have any complaints about it. I covered the match in an entirely neutral fashion. But with a big smile yeah, on your well, face seen, at all times. I saw Gary Neville at half-time. And um, we compared notes. And we didn't disagree with each other. 
I thought I'd given you a complete open goal as well, considering that I am actually, I need to admit this, recording sat inside the press box at Ellen Road. We were going to come places, to that, Ian. Uh, because I'm covering the match tonight <laughs> between Leeds and West Ham. Oh, are we, Laurie? Well, I mean, listen, you're there and Andy's in his office. It's like a bit confusing for me. It's role reversal. Usually it's the other way around with Andy, you know, at some far-flung <laughs> location. Um, are, they, are they treating you nicely over there, over the, over the Pennines? Absolutely, yeah. Um, the only difference between Andy and I is that my wife knows I'm here, so <laughs> that's maybe the, just just slight difference between the two. Let, let's get back to last night then. Mark Critchley, welcome to the team, Mark. If you're listening, he's going to be covering Manchester United as part of the athletic team. Uh, wrote about Luke Shaw last night, but he's not the only one. I mean, there's, there's a number of players stepping up now and they're beginning to sort of like I said at the top, just win games comfortably, Laurie. There's, there's, there wasn't really a question that United were winning that match last night. And I, and I can't remember the last time there was that sort of certainty around the team. Yeah, I think getting the relatively early goal was crucial. Um, certainly, Eric Ten Hag, that's a, that's a major point in his um, sort of managerial approach. I know it sounds simple, but <laughs> score the first goal, it does change the dynamic of a game. And the fact that you've got Christian Eriksen able to make those kind of set-piece deliveries now... I do think that changes the dynamic. Um, I think he's got six assists now in the Premier League, which is only beaten by Kevin De Bruyne at Man City. That's right. It was an incredible free kick, wasn't it? And and Casemiro's run, I mean, Bournemouth have been poor at set pieces, so clearly United have, have looked at that. And Eric Ramsey, you know, he had a bit of stick, didn't he, when he first came into United and, and set pieces was his kind of specific brief. I think it's widened now, but clearly he's involved in that still. Um, so he's he's been happy, I think, with a few um, routines that have worked out well. Obviously, the Marcus Rashford low corner from Christian Eriksen as well uh, against Nottingham Forest so brilliant delivery and that set the tone for the for the game Casemiro I mean what an elegant player uh, to make that kind of late run and then just cushion the volley made it look so simple didn't he into the top corner Um, but I do like where uh, Critch was coming from with his appreciation of Luke Shaw because I think he in these last three games has really emerged as a as, a, as a, a bit of a leader amongst this team you know the way that he's spoken after matches and also the way that he he no problem put his hand up and said I'll play centre-back with Eric Ten Hag having a bit of issue there given the illnesses the viruses to Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof which is what he said actually before the game that you know people were kind of surprised that they came into the starting lineup, and it was very much a uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer backline wasn't it with Aaron Wan-Bissaka at right back as well um, but he said that they were going to be his two starting centre-backs um, after the World Cup if they hadn't got these viruses so now this was his first chance to kind of put them in properly and that allowed Luke Shaw to come across to the to full-back position and we've all been kind of you know getting excited about the fact that he's been a, a pretty good um, centre-back for the last two games but he's a better full-back isn't he I mean particularly when he can do those runs down the the wing and into central midfield as he did as he did do for his goal and then also the pass that he put out to Bruno Fernandes for the third goal similar to the pass to Anthony that he did at Molyneux um, that, that nearly gave Anthony Martial a chance or did give him a chance and he, he failed to take it so yeah a lot of good performances across the pitch but I know I go on with my answer so I'll stop talking now and leave it to you guys. So I was going to pick up on the fact that Mark had earned a nickname already as part of the athletic plan. You welcomed him straight in there, Laurie, aren't you? Critch. I'm sure everyone knew you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, sorry, I should have probably clarified a little bit. I know, I know him from obviously covering the beat a fair bit. We've we've actually been to a, a warehouse uh, party project as well together. Uh, so he, he, he knows how to have a good time. Uh, so yeah, Critch, Mark Critchley. Yeah. <laughs> what was he drinking? Uh, I think he was on the uh, rum and, and, and Diet Cokes as well, actually, or ginger beers, maybe, if, to spice it up a little bit. 
Okay, fair enough. I just thought, you know, <laughs> considering we're mentioning him on Talk of the Devils, we should sort of establish which end of the spectrum he's on. I think he's more. I think he's more my way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Andy Marcus Rashford as well. Um, the first Manchester United player to score in six consecutive home matches since Wayne Rooney back in 2012. It wasn't maybe as good as Rashford's been in recent weeks last night, but the fact that he stuck at it and got his goal eventually again just underlines his form and just overall the team. The way they're playing at home, especially, there was a few questions I heard around the tunnel last night about, you know, how how much players and opposition players are not looking forward to playing at Old Trafford anymore because of United's record. There's a there's a sense of momentum building behind that. That's important for Ten Hag, isn't it? Yeah, the last time I heard that was from a, a Leeds United player um, who'd played against Manchester United and just said, you know, when you're up against uh, Man United, it just plough through you, really hard to get the ball off him and that was in one of the moments when Oli Gunners, uh, Manchester United were looking like a decent side. I think what we're seeing now is something much more stable. You mentioned Marcus Rashford. Uh, I've said several times on this podcast that he's not prolific but he's he's becoming prolific. His stats are surprisingly good given the number of goals that he's scored and he's gone well over 100 goals now. I think there's several reasons for him doing well. Um, the new additions have helped him. Christian Eriksen has definitely helped him. I think Ronaldo going has also helped him. Um, Marcus, I think mentally, is, is said that he's in a, a much better place. He's touched on that several times. Wonderful watching him in full flow, attacking the goal. He kept at it against Bournemouth, as you said. He made the difference when he came on at Wolves. I think he nipped that one in the bud as well by saying... Yeah, I slept in, I'm human, I, I make mistakes. That was certainly the implication there. And it, I, there's a lot of talk about him. I, I noticed last week Alan Shearer saying, why is he not the perfect number nine? He's saying a really good player, but he sometimes lacks that killer instinct in the box. The bottom line is he's in a much better place than he has been for several years because last season was a bad one for him, five goals. He didn't play for England for over a year I've been asking a lot of people about him and I get pretty consistent feedback. He's smiling again. He's enjoying life. He's enjoying his football again. And you know, Laurie picks out Casimiro, brilliant week after week. If you've got top-level players, then they lift the players around them. And Casimiro actually gave a really good quote about Rashford after Wolves by saying um, potentially he's one of the, 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 the best five players in the world. That good. So if we can see more of this from Rashford, and Casemiro's doing well, and Varane's doing well, and Luke Shaw, absolutely right to highlight him. He's another one who was driving forward, doing one-twos. When he's fit and on form, he's a really important player. And there are a few other players doing well at the moment, including David De Gea, which yes. is interesting. Yes. Because it shows United are still conceding chances, even against teams lower down. And Bournemouth threatened four or five times last night. Yeah, I spoke to David De Gea after the match last night and I said it's not often that you get a goalkeeper being important in a 3-0 victory, but those saves that he made in the second half, two of them from Anthony, really, really good stops, weren't they? And um, just his record overall, really. I mean, United have not conceded at home in the Premier League since Arsenal in early September. It's getting on for 500 minutes, uh, the record without 
conceding and David De Gea obviously has been as important as anyone and obviously this is in the background of, of potential contract talks for him as well his current deal's up at the end of the year he's not been extended automatically for the one year option that's there um, because it sounds like United are trying to negotiate him down on extending his deal and um, there was some uncertainty Laurie wasn't there about his position especially when Ten Hag came in because of the style that perhaps he wanted them to play and maybe question marks over David's ability to do that but He's in the top 10 all-time appearance makers now for Manchester United and his performances are important still, aren't they? Yeah, I think someone said as well, I'm going to come out with another stat that I've not actually properly checked, but that he is very close to overtaking Peter Schmeichel for a number of clean sheets for Manchester United and he's got the most. So that would be another string to his bow and I suppose for him, contract talks are taking place at a good time because clean sheets, making these saves... He's coming out of his area as well uh, against um, Bournemouth. You could see that he was being on the front foot with it and making those clearances. And there is uncertainty because he isn't the the prototype uh, player that Eric Ten Hag would like in goal. Um, I think he wants someone that can link defence and come out and, and be almost an 11th outfield player as much as be that shot stopper that we've known for a long, long time. So... But he is, he is showing an adaptability to Ten Hag's methods, uh, which I think is encouraging. Um, I mean, there is still a bit of uncertainty around that position because United have been looking at uh, new number ones. If, if they feel like that's a, a route they want to go down, they want to be aware of the market and the potential options. So you know, that, that is still not absolutely guaranteed, but the indications are that he's open to having a pay cut to his salary. I mean, he, I think he was aware that he signed an astronomical contract uh, when he, he re-signed uh, terms under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with Edward Wood uh, conducting those talks. Uh, 375 grand a week for a goalkeeper, I mean, is, is an awful lot of money. I think he appreciates that he's he's had a good... Uh, earning for a long time at United and okay he's not going to become a, a pauper overnight he's not going to accept uh, a, a lowly fee uh, but at the same time I think he appreciates that okay let's get it down to a more uh, modest uh, you know financial reward um, but but still I mean we'll get on to it you know United are looking at the goalkeeping area um, and you know do they do they have David De Gea as an outright number one? If they recommit him for a number of years, he, he probably is the outright number one, whatever. But there is a, a potential that they also sign someone that can really challenge him uh, as a number two. So at the moment, Eric Ten Hag doesn't feel like he has that. Martin Dubravka's gone back to Newcastle. Tom Heaton, clearly, he doesn't feel like he's at that level to, to challenge David De Gea. So it is still an area for debate. David's only 32 and I think we should congratulate him in getting into that top 10 of appearance holders for Manchester United. I think that's really significant. Look how great the history of the club is and he's now in the top 10 and could actually move right on through it. And I remember being a kid thinking nobody will ever play more games than Sir Bobby Charlton and Ryan Giggs absolutely destroyed that total. I think the way in which United have conceded goals this season is interesting. United have um, conceded 20. 13 of those goals in the league came in just three matches. So clean sheets are becoming the norm, even though he's playing well. I think he should take a pay cut. As Laurie said, he got a ridiculous contract. He probably isn't the best goalkeeper in the world, but he's certainly the best paid goalkeeper in the world. He's not even the Spanish number one, two or three. But he's good enough for Manchester United and he hasn't been without his critics for Manchester United. I see someone who is friendlier, more relaxed, 
Um, you said that you spoke to him, doing a lot more media than he's ever done at Manchester United. I think it will be a lovely end to his Manchester United career, which still may be five, six years off, if the team became great again. Because he was in a title-winning team. He was telling players like Ander Herrera and Juan Mata, his, his very close friends, you won't believe what it's like here when this club wins the league. It's incredible. And them two lads played in hope of that happening. And they've long gone. That didn't happen. But it could still happen for, for David De Gea. And I think he's he's happier with Varane in front of him and Lissandro Martinez, as you would be. Not that Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof did anything bad at all against Bournemouth. They, I thought they both played well. Well, actually, last night, it was written across his face how pleased he was to be playing in this team. He referred to the way that the team was functioning several times uh, with a slight sort of wry smile on his face because him and I had stood in the rain <laughs> a lot of the times last season uh, when the interviews were still being conducted pitch side um, at Premier League matches and it was always an inquest it was always what's gone wrong what's the problem how do you work it out etc 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 and then obviously last night it was the complete opposite and it just feels like it's turned around completely for David and the team uh, in that time and, and you're right he is doing more media um, he's speaking very openly his English is as good as it's ever been as well that drifted for a little while when he went back to doing the interviews in Spanish um, and at the end of the interview I asked him if he had any sort of thought of targeting another 450 appearances or so on to uh, catch up with Ryan Giggs and uh, he said he he said he'll try so I'm guessing that means he's gonna have to sign a new contract if he's going to do that obviously keep your eyes peeled to the athletic for the very latest on that um, can we talk about Donny van der Beek as well, Laurie? Because he was another player given an opportunity last night um, and it looks like a bad injury for him. What's the latest on it, do you know? Yeah, so I don't think I can really update any more than what Eric Ten Hag said after the game where he confessed it didn't look good, uh, didn't he? Which is usually uh, a sign from a manager that it could be a lengthy spell out, but he doesn't want to commit to that just yet. Um, I saw a replay of it, actually, that I hadn't seen at the time of it, and it is a really bad one where the guy slips and then his knee goes the wrong way, bends the wrong way. I mean, he looked distraught, didn't he? Um, not only for the injury, but also just for the fact that this was a chance for him to you know, stake a bit of a claim and, and, and prove that he is good enough to be part of the conversation of United's first team. And I think he was doing okay you know um, I think he, he, he probably made the wrong choices at Wolves um, in those sort of breakaway moments but against Bournemouth uh, there was like that lovely back back heel to Christian Eriksen wasn't there maybe maybe it wasn't quite flowing as it, as it does do when Bruno Fernandes is the number 10 and, and it's interesting that Ten Hag puts him Donny van der Beek as, as number 10 and then Bruno shifts across to, to right wing I think that probably is a reflection of his view on Fernandez as a player that is adaptable and, and can do good work on those sort of flanks uh, in the kind of half spaces between the, the, the right and, and the central positions. Um, but yeah, Van der Beek, I, I, you feel sorry for him, don't you? Because he, he's had opportunities for sure, but to get an injury that looks quite bad at this stage, um, yeah, you, you feel for him. I thought he was doing all right, as Laurie said. Um, a little bit over-eager in some of his tackles at the start of the game. But then he got into some good positions, ran onto the end of some balls. It was the first game that he'd started since United's last defeat, actually, against Aston Villa. So that wasn't good for him when that happened. 
and he's got a manager who's going to give him more chances probably than any other manager. If any player needs a little bit of luck, and I know you might say you create your own luck, I think it's Donny van der Beek. There's been a couple of times when he's slashed at chances or the ball's just gone wide, and that injury was really unfortunate for him, and he looked absolutely flawed. The Stretford then sang for him as he went off, so he's still got support from a lot of fans, and he's not at the level that he should be to be a top Manchester United player. But I hope, he, I hope it's not too serious and he comes back and um, shows us some of the, the signs which he showed against Bournemouth. Yeah, fingers crossed, definitely. Um, just around this section off then, you mentioned it before, Laurie, about the matches that are ahead for United. Obviously, it's Everton next in the FA Cup. We'll preview that in a little while because Frank Lampard's in a bit of a sticky situation ahead of that match. There's Charlton's come in the League Cup as well. But the next two league matches are tantalising, aren't they? How much are we going to learn about how much progress United have really made in the next two league games. Yeah, they're pivotal, aren't they? Man City at home, Arsenal away. They've shown earlier this season that they can beat Arsenal. You know, the only team so far to beat them in the Premier League. Um, but they got destroyed at the Etihad, uh, which is a really bad day for United and, and Ten Hag, actually, in, in the choices that he made. But they feel like they've, they've moved on from that point. I, I can't see a repeat like that happening. You know, also bearing in mind that City seem to be having some issues adjusting to Erling Haaland themselves. He's scoring loads of goals, but you know City aren't necessarily you know, a better team for that. Um, so I, I'm really interested in how Ten Hag approaches both games. And if, if, massive if, United somehow come away with two victories there, then yeah, wow, you know, wow. it clearly is on, isn't it? You can't deny that that, that could be, uh, that's a title challenge. But it's a huge if. And if, if Andy Mitten's eyebrows got any higher, they'd be part of his hairline <laughs> at this point. Yeah, it's a big if, isn't it? I mean, maybe the more realistic thing is that you know they they put in some commendable performances and, and it, you know it's a draw, or, you know, a couple of draws maybe, and and I think people would be fine with that, satisfied if United were able to go you know toe to toe with these teams, but uh, it's it's really tantalising and and I like Ten Hag after the game last night. You know, he, you know, it's, it, the three games they've had. Forest, Wolves, Bournemouth. They should be beating those teams, right? It's you know they're not doing anything that exceeds our expectations but they are doing it in a more controlled way so that's the positive but last night second half it did get a bit end-to-end I enjoyed it you know sitting at home in the warmth <laughs> as you've mentioned I I thought it was you know quite entertaining to kind of have these kind of moments of jeopardy Ten Hag is obviously seeing it from a different perspective and, and says you know I didn't like how it got it was like a tennis match which I thought was quite a nice analogy um, and clearly he's of the mind that okay there's improvements all the time that, that can be made. He's not going to get carried away. So I'm, but I'm really interested to see how he picks his teams for the next two matches, how that prepares them then for these two massive games. Because you can't deny that this, you know, this this could really hinge United season. What happens in the next couple of weeks? I'm enjoying just even talking about this and the prospect of what might happen, or looking out for the results and buzzing if Tottenham drop points or Chelsea or any of the other teams. I've seen slowly slip down the table as Manchester United have moved slowly up the table. That win against Bournemouth took United over an average of two points per match. Two points a game is 76 points. Could we have seen that at the start of the season? I remember one of my editors, not at The Athletic, um, headlining one of my pieces two weeks in saying, is Manchester United's season over after one game? I said, do not put that out. I will get absolutely slaughtered and quite right because there's still 37, uh, 36 games left to go. It was after Brentford, um, after two games. And um, and he did change it, to, to be fair to him, but 
it feels good, doesn't it? Going to match is enjoyable, apart from it rains all the time when it's at Old Trafford. Most of the games are at Old Trafford at the moment, but so many of the players are doing well. And there's been some really significant games this year. Yes, the the big wins at home against Liverpool and Arsenal, but the way they went to Chelsea, I thought that was really... That was the first time in a long time I've seen United go to a so-called top team and go at them and not just try and counter-attack them. I thought that was a really significant match. And there's a consistency now. More than one person said to me, uh, over these Christmas games, we would have dropped points under previous managers. It wasn't really a dig, but it was actually based in fact. So after 17 games, Manchester United now have seven more points than at the same stage last season. 17 games, we're not even at the halfway stage. There's a lot of football. And if, as Laurie says, Manchester United were to beat City, then the giddyometer will just get, <laughs> it'll just go completely mental. I don't think that's happening now. I'm quite happy with the mindset. I don't think Manchester United will win the league this year, but I am enjoying it when rivals are dropping points. And I do hope that like Chelsea beat Manchester City. I'm confident in how bad Chelsea have become to let them pick up three points, thinking that, you know, if City don't win that, then you never know. You're saying there's a chance. This is all good. This is this is what engages us in football. And this comes after a year when Manchester United lost seven consecutive away games in the middle of last year. Why can't we enjoy it? Yeah, that's quite right. And I've not seen you this excited since we won that first pre-season game back in July. And I think there was something about not getting carried away at that point. But I'm not going to repeat that. I'm not going to burst the bubble just at the moment. And remember, there's pieces up on The Athletic from Mark Critchley that we've mentioned. Also, Dan Sheldon after that victory over Bournemouth. Go and check that out now. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up now to The Athletic with our special podcast offer of £1.99 a month for the first year when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, it's January. Laurie Whitwell said well, only a week ago, I think, that there probably wouldn't be anything going on this month. And um, already it looks like United are about to sign someone, Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> are you really counting a deputy goalkeeper as, as juicy transfer 
story. Yep. Okay, fine. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> They're in talks with Jack Butler. Are we not? Well, I mean, listen. I'll let you tell Jack's mum and dad that. Yeah, yeah fair, fair, fair. Maybe that's quite harsh. Yeah, they're in talks with Crystal Palace over a loan move for Jack Butland. Um, this comes in the wake of Martin Dubravka being recalled by Newcastle, which was kind of a sudden move, I suppose. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's not. I don't think it's necessarily um, at the stage where we can start saying it's happening. But um, it's an area, as I mentioned earlier, that United are looking to enhance. Tom Heaton's there, and he certainly feels ready to you know, deputise for David De Gea. So, for example, maybe against Everton or, or, or against Charlton. Eric Ten Hag seems to me to have a different view of things and wants another player in there to step in when De Gea's not playing. Although, you know, as we mentioned, he, he's played every game apart from two so far this season. So that's been a good sort of uh, element of consistency, uh, at least. Um, so, yeah, it would be a short-term thing, we believe. Um, Jack Butland's got... Uh, six months left on his current deal, but Palace do have uh, an option to extend for another year, where we heard that before. Uh, and so the idea is that they'll probably extend that and then maybe allow him out on loan. That's that's kind of what the talks are about right now, although it's still to be decided exactly what that might shape up like. Um, and, and then as part of that, I hope you don't mind me going on to this element uh, too soon, Ian, but um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka is a player that Crystal Palace... Uh, have admired you know we know that he obviously came from there they had a look at him last summer but they were never going to get to the stage the level of, of finance that United were after um, and it's kind of a weird one that because you know he's played well hasn't he for three games as deputy for Diogo Dalot who's been out injured with a hamstring problem but he's now back um, and I don't think United would entertain any kind of loan swap or if Palace tried to sort of make it part of the Butland deal I don't think that's going to happen but clearly you know they might ask the question during these conversations um, and also Wolves are interested in Wambasaka as well so there's there's interest there and I think the fact that he's done well in these games you know and if Ten Hag does want to you know, feel like he, he can sell him and, and then get the money and use it for other parts of the squad or maybe an, a different right back, then you know, United may look at that because um, it's, it's not been a, a smooth story for Aaron Wan-Bissaka at Manchester United, albeit he has put in you know, good performances throughout his career at different stages and, and you know, uh, very much so in the last three games as well. Yeah, keep a lookout for updates on that from Laurie and the lads over the coming days. Andy, another name that's been linked with Manchester United this week on the Athletic, David Ornstein and Dermot Corrigan with some lovely background on this. Jao Felix, or Jao Felix, um, a very, very, very talented footballer. Is he the type of name that you could see United doing something with going for? What do you think? Absolutely, but it's all about money. We saw, well, maybe everyone didn't see. Pre-season, he scored the goal which um, defeated Manchester United in Oslo. He was also the only player from both sides who stopped to speak to journalists after the game. He's a nice young lad. It cost a huge amount when Atletico bought him. I think he was the fourth most expensive player in the world, which was Atletico flexing their muscles, saying, we can do this. We saw his class in moments in those two Champions League games against Manchester United last year. His relationship with people at Atletico is not what it was. Atletico Madrid are not having a good season. Would they cash in? Absolutely. But look how much they paid for him. He's going to cost a lot of money. And I think that any activity this month with Manchester United, the money side of it is always going to be uh, what drives it. We're not going to see a repeat of signing Bruno Fernandes for 50, 60 million. There just isn't the money there to do that. So it's loans, it's maybe spreading payments, it's swapping players. 
know, Laurie said that Palace and Wolves both want Aaron Wan-Bissaka, for example. There are players that Manchester United have got uh, who they could move around a little bit. But I think Eric Ten Hag, he wants to add to the squad. He's already said, he told us that um, he, he wants a striker. If Jal Felix signed for Manchester United, that would be a brilliant signing um, for him, for United. But he's a player who cost over £100 million. Do you think they're going to let him go cheaply? Not a chance. And there are still agents who look at the biggest English clubs like Manchester United and think that is our get-out-of-jail card. That is where we can get proper money from. So maybe Manchester United can benefit from the financial um, difficulty that some other clubs are in. Yeah, David Ornstein was reporting on Monday that the deal was something like a €21 million euro package if you include wages and the loan fee that Atletico were looking for and that was just to have a player from January until the end of the season which seems like a hell of a lot of money even if he was signed for over £100 million not that long ago. Dermot Corrigan also, Andy, has written about his troubles fitting into Diego Simeone's system at Atletico. Would that be an issue for United, you feel, as well or not? I think that... Jao Felix is one of the best players in the world when things are going right for him. The reason Atletico paid all that money for him is because he saw future potential. He's still very young. We saw how important he was in knocking Manchester United out of the Champions League last season. He's done it. We've seen him doing it. We saw him again pre-season doing it. He can play in different positions. His role is predominantly an attacking one, and you might say Manchester United have got too many similar type of players because he's not a number nine. And when Eric Ten Hag talked about the player he wanted to bring in, and if you ask Man United fans now, they'd probably all say a number nine. There's a lot of them Bruno-type players, and Bruno's become the main man for Portugal, not Jao Felix, so he's not in a, a good place. £21 is a lot of money for a team not in the Champions League. But then, fans of fans, you're thinking, if we could bring him in and you know, beat City and suddenly, whoa, we're going for the league here with Jao Felix. He is a top-class player. He's absolutely brilliant, but I think there'd have to be uh, a large element of compromise on, on the, the money mentioned. Yeah, and there's a number seven shirt free, of course, that's been vacated that that the uh, sort of commercial people may have their eyes on uh, for someone like Jao Felix too. Speaking of that number seven shirt, Laurie, um, I'm sure people have seen your piece on Cristiano Ronaldo, which has been rather controversially tagged on to the Manchester United section of the Athletic app. I think United fans are still showing a passing interest maybe on his arrival in South Africa I mean Saudi Arabia um, your piece though very interesting about his exit from United and his relationship with the club as well some really really revealing details in there yeah I'm conscious that he isn't a Man United player anymore so I can understand when people feel like stop showing this on our feed on the Athletic app and again we're talking about it right now on Talk of the Devils a Man United podcast indulge us for a moment listeners please thank you yeah that's that's all I can ask because I do think it's it has some relevance to United because it's kind of a significant feature of this move to Saudi Arabia that it's not been a George Mendes production he has not been involved in this move and you think back to when he Ronaldo joined Manchester United it was Ed Woodward in his garden as Gary Lineker revealed on the phone to George Mendes doing this deal and he's been a part of Ronaldo's life he's been his agent for you know 20 odd years so for him not to do this deal which is the biggest in football history when you look at the numbers that Ronaldo's getting for it it is a really significant moment and the the article touches on why that might be which you know alludes to the fact that you know, George Mendes, I think, was trying to find him a European club last summer and then also approaching this window, wasn't able to. 
Uh, Ronaldo, I think, had different uh, view on whether he should have been able to do that or not. Um, you know, and, and did he really want the advice that we are told Mendes was giving him, which was, you know, stick it out at United, you know, try and swallow it if you can, if you can and, and be a squad player for Eric Ten Hag. Because we keep being told that Ten Hag absolutely, genuinely would have had Ronaldo in his squad as an option. You know, but Ronaldo didn't want to do that, which you can understand if if his ego, uh, his status in the game, you know, makes him think that actually no, I, I should be starting. So, um, but he, you know, he, so therefore he's, he's not had Mendes involved in this deal, which is just quite interesting. And instead, uh, it's a guy called Ricardo uh, Regife, um, which who is a, a player that's a person that's also known Ronaldo for a long, long time. He was uh, worked at Nike when they had the uh, Portugal contract and that's how he got to know Ronaldo when he was still a, a teenager at Sporting Lisbon. They've become friends and, and, and closer and uh, he's now his personal manager since 2018 um, and, and he's been the guy that has you know negotiated on Ronaldo's behalf with Al Nasser. There's also a lawyer involved and Ronaldo himself, I think, has had talks with Al Nasser. Um, there is even a line in the piece that we speak about um, Ronaldo Ronaldo himself uh, having a, a call with at least one uh, European club executive about you know a move to their their team. Um, representative for Ronaldo denies that he spoke to clubs directly, but it's an interesting element if it's correct that you know he he took it upon himself. He, he took the initiative, and, and you can see that in the Piers Morgan interview. Really, you know he he has a view of himself and where he should be playing, and and so he's going to take control of certain situations. I mean, doing the interview itself is him taking control of, of a narrative. So uh, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting element. And listen, maybe you know United fans don't want to hear any more about it, but I do feel like it's kind of got some relevance to Old Trafford still. Laurie, do you believe Eric Ten Hag when he says he would have liked to have kept Ronaldo? Because I don't. I I, I yeah. I, I just don't. I'm not just not having that line. It's it to me. It's like. It's an easy thing to say. It's a respectful thing to say. And what do you think? Certainly after the Brentford game, when they looked at the running stats of teammates and how they dropped off a cliff. And basically the idea was that Ronaldo's the issue here. You know, we need, we need to allow Ronaldo to leave. Um, I think I, and maybe you're right, maybe it's just lip service, you know, and it was always from that moment, I want Ronaldo out of this club. I still think there's an element where... The alternative is there's no centre-forward right now, is there, really? I think in Ten Hag's mind, if, and it's a huge if, and clearly it wasn't possible, but if Ronaldo had been able to get on board with being a squad player, then I think he would have you know, kind of muddled through and, and been fine with having him as an option. But maybe I'm giving that too much um, you know, credence and, and I'm being naive in my view of that. And now he's in Saudi. Yes, he is. You can read Laurie's piece on The Athletic now. Nick Miller's also written about his arrival in Saudi Arabia. Even Ronaldo got that right eventually. They're both up right now for you to read. And Nick, Laurie and I will all be recording The Athletic Football podcast on Thursday as well, speaking about Ronaldo's arrival in the Middle East, if you can possibly bear any more Ronaldo content. Keep your eye out for that. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
up for the cup, Friday night fun, however you want to term it. Manchester United taking on Everton at Old Trafford in ooh, 48 hours' time or so. And Frank Lampard might not even be the Everton manager by the time we get there. Um, Paddy Boyland's keeping his eye close to that for the Athletic at Goodison Park. Andy, they're not in good shape, Everton, at all, but United have to be wary of that, don't they? Frank Lampard got the job ahead of Rudy Garcia. Ralph Rangnick got the job ahead of Rudy Garcia. They were the two jobs that he went for. And now he's managing Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's speak a bit more about Ronaldo. No, I'm only joking on that one. <laughs> uh, Everton are in free fall. And I looked halfway through the, the game on uh, when United were playing Bournemouth. I thought, Everton are getting battered here. And it's really worrying. And you're seeing the fans coming out saying this club has been run disgracefully. And the owner's saying, yeah, but we're delivering a stadium. And fans saying, that stadium should have been done 20, 30 years ago. The stadium does look very nice. They spent a huge amount of money and they've wasted a huge amount of money. If you think Manchester United wasted a lot of money, United have done. But Everton really shouldn't be in the league position that they're in. United will be favourites, but remember the Everton game at Old Trafford last year? They actually played really well and got a draw. Manchester United are in a much better place now than last time. But look... Middlesbrough came to Old Trafford and not United out of the FA Cup last year. Just forgive me if I'm a little bit circumspect. It's about time United won a trophy. 2017 is the last time. Treat the FA Cup and the League Cup, as Eric Tenag is doing, with the utmost respect. Let's get a trip down to Wembley. Let's start the run with a, a win against a, a Premier League team at Old Trafford. Yeah, it was only last weekend that Everton were drawing at the Etihad Stadium. It's amazing how a positive result like that can, can turn so quickly when you can see three goals in six minutes in the second half against Brighton. Very curious indeed. Um, we don't know whether Lampard will be in charge or not, so I guess we don't talk about that any longer. But in terms of the team for United, Laurie, it's going to be full strength, isn't it? I mean, there's a long time between that match and the derby. There's the League Cup game, but of the two matches, surely Everton's the, the full strength and Charlton's maybe the rotation. I mean, but what, what would constitute a full strength team right now? Because obviously, you know, Martinez was out the team last night. Varane was out the team. Dalot was out the team. So you actually, you could bring all those back in and it, it'd be rotation. So I, I feel like, he, he, I think he probably will revert to his favoured back four, uh, which would be those three coming in. You think that Ericsson and Casemiro stay in again? That they, you know, uh, certainly Ericsson came off, didn't he, with a good amount of time left against Bournemouth. So you sort of think, okay, he's, he's readying him for the next game. Um, we, we hope that Anthony's back fit, I suppose, because um, you know he, he, you know, you need that balance on the wings with Jaden Sancho still being, you know, unavailable on his sort of personal fitness regime. Um, so yeah, it kind of picks itself, I would say. Um, maybe there's a little tweak or two here you know Garnacho showed good signs didn't he coming on against Bournemouth um, Alanga possibly um, can push for something uh, you know Everton are uh, I think interested in Alanga but um, there's been uh, no suggestion that you know Tenag would allow him to go out without anyone coming in so on loan so um, so whether or not this is a match for him I don't know but yeah I think you're right that this is one where and I've liked this about Ten Hag, that he's clearly got a view in mind, he spoke about this, of winning a trophy in his first season. I think he understands the value, the kind of momentum that that can build. So he's not going to be giving away uh, any opportunities easily. OK, we'll be back after that FA Cup tie against Everton on Friday, hopefully reflecting on United making it through to the fourth round with a seventh victory 
in a row. That's how good the form has been just lately. It still feels a bit weird to say that, in fairness. Um, remember, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can have a look at all the articles we've talked about today by signing up with our special podcast price, £1.99 per month for a year, when you go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But the stewards here at Ellen Road are just about to come past me, clicking all the seats, so I think I better say goodbye before I get chucked out of the seat I'm not supposed to be in. But Laurie, thank you very much. Andy, thank you as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. The Athletic.